0: you are locked on indians your daily cleveland indians podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day hello everyone and welcome to another edition of locked on indians i want to apologize for missing last night's show i as mentioned on the previous show have been dealing with a little bit of a cold it makes it hard to talk for 15 minutes in a row for the podcast um let's be honest i'm often talking more like 20, 25 minutes in a row, and not 15 anyways. Um, So between that and my computer having some issues, it just didn't make it possible to do the show. So today's show is going to be yesterday's show. We're going to talk about uh, another one of those matchups with the Indians and uh, another organization to see if there's trades to be had. Before that, let's talk about the Pirates, though, and their firing of Neil Huntington. Uh it's not an unsurprising move. You can go back, uh, it really felt like over the last few years the Pirates had probably made just about every misstep one could conceivably make. Um and then that's just the on the field. You could look at the off field of how that's got you know, uh Joe Hung Kang looked like he was gonna be like one of the best steals in baseball in terms of value and then all the negatives that came out with him. Uh, Felipe Rivero. Uh, it, it was uh, such a great trade when they traded uh, Mark Melancon for him. And he was one of the top closers in baseball. And then one of the ickiest situations we've seen in recent memory with him. Um, all that stuff reflects on your organization. And then there's just the trades, you know. The high cost for Chris Archer the low cost they got for garrett cole uh trading away andrew mccutcheon though i mean in the end that worked out pretty well i mean brian reynolds had a hell of a year for them and we'll eventually get to the pirates but yeah it just wasn't working out for them and they were kind of stuck in neutral to reverse and very quickly that team fell apart its central run window was so incredibly small Yes, Huntington was able to get him over that terrible hump of being like the worst team in sports in terms of uh, not making the postseason in, you know, God knows how many years. But uh, he had to keep progressing, and they essentially had that great run. And their whole team kind of... Huntington's run was pretty much tied to McCutcheon. And when it was at its peak, it was good. And then when he started to go down, so did that whole organization. Though, as I said, we're not going to really... Spent too much time on the Pirates. That'll be another show. But for now, let's talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're the last team in the NL West, and they are a really interesting team to look at on paper. Um, when I did my piece on them at the start of the year, their top 11 draft prospects, it was not a very deep system. I come back now, and it is incredibly deep. One part of that was the sheer massive number of draft picks they had you know losing Patrick Corbin failing to sign Matt McLean the year before um losing AJ Pollock they they had a ton of draft capital and they basically decided we have all this capital we can take risks which is I think a good approach I, I mean I love their draft Corbin Carroll Blake Walston Brennan Malone Trey Jamison I mean those are all strong selections then they go out and trade um Zach Greinke, they do pick up a little bit of the salary. I misspoke before on that. But they get pretty much every prospect that was left in the Houston Astros organization, uh, including the hurt ones. I mean, they got the last, like, four or five name pieces. The Astros uh, minors are pretty pick-barren at this point. But, uh, yeah, they, they, they were able to cut that money and make significant inroads and i mean i i also really liked and thought there was an intelligent move going out and getting zach allen it cost them a prospect with some high ceiling but uh, i think zach allen's just better than people give him credit for and he's never going to get the correct amount of praise in my opinion but we'll get into that in a bit uh so the diamondbacks are in a weird kind of no man's land um you know i didn't even mention that they traded away paul goldschmidt that's Kind of how crazy everything was last year. Uh, one of the guys in that deal, Carson Kelly, had a really strong year for them at the uh, catcher position. Christian Walker spent most of the year outperforming Goldschmidt at first base. Nick Ahmed is a potential goal Glover every year at shortstop. And then Ketel Marte had one of the biggest breakout seasons in recent memory. I mean, he was just a terror. 36 doubles, 32 home runs. Nearly hit 330 with a 390 on base uh, while playing center field. Um, he was one of the best players in baseball this year. Adam Jones they got for nothing and uh, the start of the year he looked good and then he just he had a very Adam Jonesian year, which is what we've seen from him where it just kind of fell apart and he doesn't have much left. David Pralta uh, we'll talk about him some more in a bit. Question is can he stay healthy and at third base is Eduardo Escobar another guy will kind of dig a little deeper on. When you look at the rest of the the team, they, you know, they ran a few guys out there. Um, you know, Gerard Dyson got a lot of at-bats and didn't really look like he had much left. Uh, Jake Lamb is a guy that, I mean, two years ago, he looked like an everyday part of, you know, a team that was the Diamondbacks looked like a team that were going to be perennial playoff team. And he looked like one of those core pieces. And last year, he just didn't perform well and his opportunities kind of vanished. But, you know, he's just one of those names to remember because they do have him sitting around uh, to fill a spot on the infield. Pitching wise, it's still going to be really interesting for this team heading into next year. Uh, Robbie Ray regressed a bit, uh, but I mean, he's still missing bats at an absolutely sickening rate, especially for a left-hander. Luke Weaver had a phenomenal year for them. Year right down to it. It's like <laughs> that Goldschmidt deal. I mean, Weaver and Carson Kelly looked really good this year. Uh, Alex Young was always kind of a safe left-hander at a TCU, and he did that in the the bigs this year. So um, he's one of those guys who was never a sexy pick, never really a big-name prospect, just always did what he needed to do, moved through the minors, and this year... Uh, got a lot of starts for them and was able to get out there and perform as a as a reliever. Uh, Taylor Clark is a former top prospect who had some struggles in the bigs, but at this point, you kind of look at this team. It's Robbie Ray is probably still your opening day starter. You got Weaver as your two. I guess Merrill Kelly is probably like your three, and Alex Young is like a four. So it's like your fifth spot, Taylor Clark. You see if maybe someone else can jump in there uh they got mike leek for a little bit left uh what am i saying i forgot about zach allen zach allen is like so i messed that all up after talking about how much i like zach allen and how he's perennially underrated i am guilty of doing the same right there so let's start this over you're gonna go robbie ray you're gonna go the Luke Weaver, then you're going to go Zach Allen. So that's that's not a bad top three when you get right down to it. Um, after that, this is where it gets fun, because you know, I think Alex Young was good enough that you're probably going to want him to be your five. So you got Merrill Kelly, you got John Duplantier, uh, you got Tejon Walker, if he's back and healthy. I mean, they're a team that, uh, if they do move Robbie Ray, I can 100% see why. I mean, they have interesting pitching choices. It's the same reason they could—they were pretty happy to move Granke, because even on top of this, when Corbin Martin comes back healthy, he's very close to the big leagues. JB Bukowski, they've got some arms that are very close um, to begin with. They have a phenomenal pitching depth. I mean, they, they rival the Indians in starting pitching depth when I look at them. Uh, the Indians certainly have... Uh, better top end, but just in terms of depth, how many arms deep you can go, that that stands out. And you look at their bullpen. I mean, Archie Bradley has gone from disappointment to excellent closer. Uh, Andrew Chafin, the Kent State product, has really found a role in the pen back there for them being a rubber arm guy. I talked about in the underrated or kind of under the radar for agent guys, uh, Yoshihiro Hirano, uh, old friend TJ McFarland, who he has the had the oddest career to me of any guy the Indians have drafted you know this rule five pick he was a second round pick uh I think his career war is like point 0.1 or something like that it's either might even be like negative point 0.1 he is but he he's unkillable it is point 0.1 uh but for a guy who's like basically been a replacement level left-hander He's appeared in 262 games, 380 innings over the last seven years. Um, you know, he's never made big money. Kind of curious to see. Um, yeah, like he made 1.4 million last year. and That was the first time he broke a million dollars. Uh, I guess his contract will pay him 1.8. But there's a good chance uh, Arizona will just decline with the 50k buyout because he was not very good last year. But someone also give him a try cuz that's what happens left but oh. oh that's interesting so yes they are not exercising their option on McFarland uh another infielder they chose not to exercise their option for is the uh, the interesting thing there Wilmer Flores who's another guy who'd be underrated to me in terms of free agent market that he had a relatively cheap option too so that's surprising it was like $6 million and Flores was you know former top prospect that had a really good 85, ga- 89 games for them, playing a few spots on the infield. Hit 317, 361 OPS, 47 slugging, 118 OPS plus, 18 doubles, 9 home runs. Uh, yeah, he did a lot of good things in a limited role for them, and 6 million is like nothing. So that's that's a bit of a surprise. I honestly did not think he would hit free agency, but add him to the list of guys the Indians should look at. But, yeah, so basically you come back around with Arizona. I don't know what they're going to try to do. I think they're going to become sellers. I think they kind of realize where they are. But they have this situation where, like, I expect Robbie Ray to be traded this year. Um, Someone is going to step up, especially after Garrett Cole signs. Um, You know, there are other names on the market. There's going to be that reactionary move. It's going to be, we didn't get Garrett Cole. What can we do now? And... I mean, Houston's system is pretty barren, I'd say maybe they're the team that does it because they're the team that goes out and flips all of their, their tradable assets to trade for arms. They don't develop their own for the most part. They're not going to trade uh, Tucker or Whitley, though, and that really limits the pieces they could have for a trade. But like I said, you, I'm, still, I'm not going to give up on uh, Duplantier, who I've been high on since his time at Rice. He's just... He's injured again, and it's it's, he was—I did not like his usage last year by Arizona. So he was a, a starter, and then he went to the bullpen, and they just kind of had him going up and down and all around. He ended up playing across four levels last year and dealing with injuries. So it was just a disaster and a half for him. Uh, I would love to buy low on him. Let's put it that way. If Arizona is so low, I think he's one of those guys. Because I think the Indians would like him. Because you get down to it, he is this excellent athlete with big velocity. But the other thing about John Duplantier is that uh, he had a full ride to uh, Princeton, I believe. Like He's incredibly intelligent. Which, as we have learned, um, can be a negative in organizations, especially with pitching. It was a negative with Bauer when he was in arizona at one point in time so uh sometimes being intelligent I've, I've talked to people at games from organ- other organizations um where they have talked like negatively about something well i think he's too intelligent he thinks not about duplante here but about like i remember someone uh, having a discussion about brady aiken and then the person like he just he overthinks he's overthinking things he thinks too much he's too smart <laughs> and you know, I, that type of stuff always drives me a little up the wall, but uh, it could be an area the Indians could uh, could certainly look into. Uh, and I just wanted to quickly also, as I'm talking about prospects, Taylor uh, Wit widener was a, widely considered to be a top 100 prospect a year ago, and he has just plummeted on charts. I think he's in the teens when I looked at, like, fan graphs. Uh, he had a rough 2019 in AAA. His home run rate went from under one to over two. His walk rate went up nearly a full walk and his strikeout rate was down 1.7 per nine. But here's how you know that uh, you shouldn't be looking at that data. That yes, it was 100 innings. It's a sample size. But that this was a he was incredibly unlucky. Uh, His bat pip was 381, which I've unheard of for a pitcher. Um, you know, he had been right around that, like, 275, 280 range his previous time in the minors. So he had a really unlucky year. And then his home run on fly ball rate jumped. He was, like, 8.2%, 3.7%, and then 10%. Uh, and that 10% was only 23 innings, so it's not much of a sample size. This year it was up to 18. So, yeah, it it certainly feels that uh, he did not respond well to pitching uh in arizona's triple a affiliate it's uh and like i said the statistics show me a guy who was very much unlucky so i i think and their triple a affiliate if you don't know is the reno aces balls travel in vegas they travel in the desert that's a place that pitchers struggle at and hitters excel at so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna throw away uh Duplantier or or Widner, if I am a, a fan of the Diamondbacks, I think that both of them are guys to strongly pay attention to heading into next year. Along with, I mean, just Matt Tabor was a third round pick in 2017. There was some arm injuries, I think, and that's why he didn't pitch much into it. Or there was there was concerns after the draft. Um, man, last year though. An A-ball, strikeout rate of nine and a half with a walk rate of one and a half. Excuse me for a, a cold weather guy who needed a little bit longer to develop. Uh, just keep your eye on him as a sleeper. I haven't even gotten into anything just because I, I like this Arizona organization. I like the depth. I'm very intrigued by them. But I, I, I've got a can't be doing this all day. Uh, I could, but. <laughs> I don't think that's what Indians fans want to hear me wax poetic about other teams. So let's talk about who should be the first trade target. And I think rather obviously it should be Eduardo Escobar, the third baseman. Escobar is owed 7.1. Let's, let's round up 7.2 million this year and 7.7 million next year. So for those who don't want to do the math at home, he's owed just under 15 million. Uh that's phenomenal and so what has he done um you know he kind of bounced around the minors and the question was after he had that really good year with the twins you know they ended up trading him halfway through the uh 2018 season the question was was that just an, an aberration at his age 29 year that he had the 23 doubles and 48 or 23 home runs 48 doubles combined well this year for arizona he came out and had 35 home runs and 29 doubles um, Continued to be a, a solid solid hitter at third base while providing uh defensive value as well so you're getting offensive and defensive values um sign me up and it's a it's a contract that fits the indians it fits what they need to do he's a switch hitter um you're just going to put him at there to move J. Ram to second base, and it, it makes your team so much better. Like, he should be one of the Indians' number one trade targets this offseason. Like, this is the guy you want to go get. He's going to provide pop, he's going to provide offense, he's going to provide defense. He's going to do it at a salary that the Indians can afford. Of course, the question becomes what is the cost of a player like that? You know, how much does it cost to go out and get uh, Eduardo Escobar? I don't think that, uh, they're going to be opposed to doing such a thing just because, you know, if they traded Paul Goldschmidt, they'll, they'll trade anyone. He was the face of that organization. So let's try to put together a deal. And I, I want to get another guy in this deal. and that's Andrew Chafin. It's not just because he's a Ken State product, but yes, that is it's certainly nice when you can bring a uh, you, know, a kid who went to Western Reserve High School and Kent State home you know it's yeah let's bring the Ohio kid back but it's more about the fact that he's got six years in the majors his FIP the worst his FIP ever was was in his rookie year of 3.63 uh, 3.25 this year 2.65 the year before he's averaging about 50 innings a year appearing in about 77 games he is not a loogie he is he can get lefties and righties and um, and Arizona is going to be more willing to trade him because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So he is purely a one-year guy. There's always the chance that uh, maybe you can convince him to uh, to sign uh, a long-term contract uh, for the Kettering native. I, let's see, he is, he'll be 30 in June. So, you know, maybe you can get a two, three-year contract out of him. But uh, yeah, Chafin, especially because someone like Tyler Olson is losing a lot of value with the, the whole multi-hitter rule. Um, Chafin would be an ideal addition. With Arizona uh, cutting TJ McFarlane, they don't really have a lot of lefties. But again, I don't think this is a team that's pushing it. Um, you know, that, That's why I'm saying Chafin, especially because he's a lefty but over someone like Archie Bradley, who is younger and can be part of a, kind of their next core up, along with like a Yoan Lopez. Those two guys can form their, their pen in the future. Using the handy dandy uh, trade values uh, website, and Duplantier, because of course I'm gonna include him. I've been, this is a guy I've been talking up since he was at TCU and has a bit of a down year, and Escobar comes out to 32 points of value. So what in the Indians minor leagues could equal that? Something to keep in mind is Arizona did go out of their way to add drafts a year ago, trading for those as an asset. The Indians do have a first-round competitive balance pick this year. It is a deep draft. Um, teams know that, and it's always hard to gauge the value of that pick, but I could see that being a uh, definitely a sweetener in a deal like this one. I will say one of the problems with a deal with the Diamondbacks is... They don't need starting pitching, which is really kind of the area the Indians have to, a strength to deal from. But let's let's still see if we can make this work with prospects um, in the minor league system that would make sense. Now, I mentioned before the Diamondbacks took some gambles in last year's draft. So, again, this is a, this what I'm setting up. And this this still feels light to me, but I got a value of 31.2 as opposed to the incoming value of the Indians at 32. Um, I know it's a bit silly that I, I'm even including Duplantier, so let's let's honestly take him out as much as I'd love to include him because Indians don't really need more pitching depth, um, at least starter wise. But just for Escobar and Shaven, that would knock the value down. According to this, at 22, I don't. I think it's more valuable than that. I think Escobar is a lot more valuable than he's giving credit for in this system. Um, the centerpiece for me is Bo Naylor for Arizona, and yes, there's Dalton Varsho at catcher. Um, but I think most people agree at this point he is not going to stick there. Um, he's just not very good behind the plate. That He's going to probably move to another position. The bat has played well. He has played well. But, and the whole, this Arizona team does not have great catching depth in their minors. I know the Indians don't either, but, um, and they do have Carson Kelly who looked really good, but Bo Naylor is that guy who kind of makes sense. I think he's one of the Indians' top five prospects. And it fits a organizational need for them while the Indians trade a guy who's still in low, you know, the A-ball area. Uh, the next piece I'm including is Tristan McKenzie. He has been hurt all year. I mean, if he's healthy, he's, he, his value is significantly higher. So it gives Arizona kind of a chance to buy low on someone who, uh, who's been hurt. And the nice thing if you're an Indian for the Indians is trading McKenzie is inevitably going to kind of clear a roster spot on your 40-man for someone like Escobar. So there, there's some finagling there. Um, but if you're Arizona, it could be one of those, the deal could end up a total steal. If you're the Indians, maybe it's a situation where you're selling while there's still some value left. And then the final piece I have going over is Sam Hentges. Um, again, so then that clears another uh, spot on the 40-man. Uh, a disappointing season this year. I don't think he's going to be top 10 anywhere. Uh, gives a left-handed pitcher back that uh, Arizona could look at another big-bodied guy. They've uh, they've definitely liked that in the past. Maybe he could eventually move into a relief role, but they get you know three interesting prospects, none of them in the top fifty. Giving up an excellent third baseman and a consistently really good reliever. Now the excellent third baseman is for two years. The reliever is for one, but uh, yeah, I mean that would be. Personally, it's gonna be hard to top Escobar and Chafin at, for a combination to fill the Indians' needs. I One could even make the case of trying to pay a little bit more and get David Peralta. Honestly, it wouldn't be that much more. If I were to go through and look at this trade, and just a quick reminder: I, I know Peralta's a big name, but due to injuries and age, you know he's 32. He only played 99 games last year. Uh, he made seven something million. In his final year of arbitration, he is projected to get just 8.8. So it's been kind of a disappointing trend for him. And it really, really limits his value. So I, frankly, in an ideal world, Escobar, Peralta, Chafin. Now Arizona gets two guys who are on expiring contracts, get some value for them, for guys that are very unlikely to get qualifying offers. And then they get, um, value for a third baseman uh, that gives him another chance to put jake lamb out there jake lamb is actually going to be a free agent at the end of this year and uh 2017 he was an all-star but has had just a miserable 2018-2019 um i don't think anyone expects arizona to really go anywhere this year so if he can if you want lamb to play every day you want him to try to establish some value so if you are a middling team you get something back for him at this point so you look at these three pieces it's gosh like i even forgot steven souza is in that outfield picture for them part of the reason being that Souza didn't play at all last year after a really weird uh, torn acl lcl and pcl um so yeah just another player i mean obviously you're not gonna trade for a guy coming off that but we got those three guys peralta rental chafin rental escobar two-year deal I still think the core deal that I mentioned, pretty much of Naylor, McKenzie, and Henkes makes sense. The other way, if they don't want to gamble so much, frankly, is probably something like Naylor, Henkes, and Brian Roccoyo who I'm not as high on as others, but a lot of places have is kind of a you know a top, uh, top 100 prospect. So it'd be like, and in that case, you know, Naylor maybe comes out. So maybe. You know, Rocoyo, McKenzie, and Henkes. That could make sense. The Indians would have to clear another 40-man spot. But you have two guys that are expiring if they don't work out. Oh, well. You have a guy that you're getting at a fantastic deal for two years on that infield. Um, and if <laughs> Nolan Jones is ready, then you'll figure out how to make it work between the DH position as well. But, uh, yeah, it, it sets the Indians up and takes care of their three biggest needs. So it's going to be hard find a team that has three guys that there would conceivably trade that makes sense for a team to move on from uh that would bring more innate value to the indians Uh, to me chafin escobar peralta if you can land all three it's not going to get any better than that and uh combined salary is going to be under 20 million um looking at sport track the indian salary is currently set to be about 30 million less than a year ago we ran super long uh, considering to make up for the Miss podcast yesterday. I'm curious to hear what people think. Do you agree with me that the Diamondbacks so far look to be the ideal trade partner? If so, let me know at Jeff MLB Draft, And as always, go Tribe.